0: Hey, welcome into Positive Live, we're bringing a positive influence into your life and into this world. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's episode is on having a cheerful heart, and from Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So when I read verses like this one, I'm reminded of the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. There are two very opposite images in this verse, a joyful heart and a broken spirit. A broken spirit could refer to the heaviness from anxious or depressing thoughts. It affects our whole being, dries up the bones. In other words, a broken spirit is draining, both spiritually and physically. It's hard enough when we experience pain or deep loss, but when it consumes us, we are tempted to feel forgotten by God or to forget God. We feel hopeless and lack of the strength to preserve. I'd rather have a joyful heart. But how does this happen when I'm anxious or despondent? Pay attention to the heart. The Bible often uses the term heart to refer to our inner man or true self. So the condition of our heart can be seen through our outward expression, such as tears or smiles, or our health. For instance, out of Proverbs 12.25, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down but a good word cheers it up. And 1513, a joyful heart makes a face cheerful, but a sad heart produces a broken spirit. Let me clarify that a joyful heart does not mean smiling all the time, laughing constantly, jumping up and down. A joyful heart, however, is possible even when life is stressful and hard. So let's talk about some ways we can promote a joyful heart. So the first one would be humbling ourselves versus seeking control. As you have a joyful heart rests in God's control of life. Ever since the fall, we have tried to be in control of our lives. How exhausting. It never ends. Trusting God isn't a lack of action, but it does involve humility by knowing what you can control. It might be asking for help, planning ahead, or learning a new skill. Distinguish between what you can control and what you cannot. Pray to God for help and trust Him with the outcome. Health crisis, family conflict, job loss. Rest in believing that God knows and cares God's will be done. And the second is believing God's truth versus our own thoughts. A joyful heart remembers God's character and promises. Since the fall, we have believed ourselves to know better than God. Do you have people in your life who speak thoughtfully whenever you talk to them? A good word that is biblical and love, it can refresh your soul. One idea might be to study God's attributes if you're struggling to believe that God is loving, forgiving, and powerful. Replace thoughts that dry up the bones with life-giving truths such as God is good and faithful. And the third is praying always versus giving up. So a joyful heart preserves because of the hope we have in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. A person who keeps praying is the person who perseveres. We pray as a way of casting our anxieties on God. It doesn't mean our circumstances will change. In fact, we might not know the outcome for months or even years. The medical news might be worse than we expected. The difficult coworker or boss might provoke us more. Each day we press on to live for God's glory and dependence on God, trusting him alone. So the book of Proverbs isn't a formula of guarantees, like if we do this, then this will happen. Wouldn't that be comforting for those of us who like structure, order, and predictability? If only life were that simple. We are given wisdom in Proverbs on how to live a wise life. But only God is in control over our lives and creation. Because of this truth, it is possible to have joyful hearts. So disease, murder, rioting, losing our job. There is a lot of happening in our country right now that weighs on the heart. Those are a few things that are affecting the whole country. But don't forget about loved ones dying, car accident, fights, floods, financial strife, breakups, and a whole host of other bad things that happen to people every day. How can we possibly stay happy when so many lousy things are happening in our lives? So from Proverbs 15.15 says that a miserable heart means a miserable life, but a cheerful heart fills the day with a song. You might think that the verse is only stating the obvious. If I feel sad, I'm going to live a sad life. And if I feel happy, I'm going to live a cheerful life. However, this is a proverb meant to teach us. And it is trying to tell us that we have a choice as how our heart feels. You get to choose if you have a miserable heart or a happy heart. You still might be thinking, dude, how in the world do you expect me to choose to be happy when my mother just passed away? Or my best friend was just diagnosed with cancer. That is some heavy stuff for a person to deal with, especially when it involves someone you love so dearly. I was having a bad day some time ago because of something happening with someone I love. And then it hit me. God loves this person even more than I do, so I wonder what her day is like. Then it hit me some more. God knows and loves every person in the world, and there are many millions of them dealing with bad stuff every day. I was down in the dumps because of the one person in my life, so God must have been super duper down in the dumps because of all the people he loves so dearly that were suffering in some way. However, I knew that couldn't be true. Just don't picture God moping around up in heaven. So how does he keep a cheerful heart? I know. I know he's God so he can do anything and we don't begin to have the capabilities he has. Though I think there are two main reasons he is not overcome with sadness and these are reasons we can also be happy when bad things happen. So first he focuses on all the good things that are happening his heart is made glad when he sees someone feed the poor, go to church for the first time, be baptized, or when someone praises him for all that he is. In the same way, we can also choose to focus on the good things in life. And second, he knows what is coming, a kingdom on earth where there is no more pain and suffering. There is not one bad thing that can happen to you that can take away your chance to be in the kingdom if you have made the choice to accept the gift of eternal life. That reward far outweighs anything that can happen during this very short lifetime. All that bad stuff becomes quite insignificant when you realize it has no effect on your salvation. Will you be sad if your mother passes? Of course. But if your choice, if you want to mope around for months or years or continually dwell on her death, or you can appreciate the great memories you had with your mother and focus on what is good in your world, and hopefully you can also look forward to seeing her again. Those years without her in your life may seem like forever, but that amount of time is insignificant when you consider you would get to spend all the rest of your years with her in heaven. So bad things are going to happen to you and those you love, but you have a choice to be happy or not. Don't dwell on what makes you sad. Think about what makes you happy. So don't let the bad parts of life rob you of the joy that you can feel knowing that Jesus will soon return. So have you ever seen the movie Pollyanna? Child actress Haley Mills starred as the orphan daughter of missionaries who became the ward of her rich, embittered aunt. Pollyanna's infectious habit of being thankful transforms the crabby ant, the crotchety household staff, and the whole town. These days, people use the label Pollyanna to suggest someone childishly naive in her ability to look on the bright side. But being happy doesn't require us to turn a blind eye to the troubles such as gangs and crime. Neither does it mean we chant shallow platitudes such as, don't worry, be happy. Like most attributes, we long for peace, patience, and goodness. A happy heart takes root in the discipline of giving thanks. It's the secret weapon of a joyous Christian. But what is it about gratitude that creates a happy heart? Of course, I was madly in love with my wife when we got engaged. But that's nothing compared to the love I have for her now. After nearly 27 years of marriage, the difference is gratitude. I'm thankful for the hundreds of times she scrubbed the pots after dinner, for the time she's instantly forgiven my crappiness, and for the willing spirit she shows about helping my friends, for the amazing enthusiasm she brings to parenting our child. As I think about the multitude of actions that prove her love for me over the years, I'm filled with joy. That's the way I feel in my relationship with God, too. And the reason I believe the Old Testament is loaded with verses that instruct God's people to remember His goodness, such as First Samuel twelve twenty four, Be sure to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things He has done for you. Whenever I struggle to feel joyful, I choose to reflect on how God always meets my needs time after time. I've seen God put forgiving love in me right where angry resentment had been half an hour before simply because I asked him to. As my relationship with God grows, my love for him becomes more deeply entwined with my gratitude to him. The more I remember his goodness, the closer I feel to his comfort, peace, and presence. So it's easy to recognize how integral gratitude is to experiencing joy in God. It's less obvious to see how it affects my other relationships, but it does. So when I'm tempted to keep score with others or resent a friend who talks more about her himself than listens to me, gratitude helps me remember how full my cup is, how well God's caring for me. Then I'm able to reach out to my friend without becoming bitter. So if developing an attitude of gratitude is difficult for you, take heart. You'll be surprised how a little bit of discipline goes a long way toward your joyful spirit. So let's try these steps that might help you out. So first, start a joy journal. Keep a small notebook by your bed, just for jotting down a few good things God's done for you that day. This doesn't take long, especially if you use one or two key reminder words at the beginning or on a day when your heart's heavy. This may take some work, but even on those days, try to come up with three items minimum. So it may help to look back over the other day's entries to spark happy thoughts of God's faithfulness to you. As your thankfulness skill develops, this exercise becomes a pleasure. So you can also play the glad game. So in the movie, Pollyanna plays a game her father taught her. He told her that in every situation there is something to be thankful for, if only you look for it. So one time, when Pollyanna had been hoping for a doll to come in a supply shipment, she received a pair of crutches instead. So Pollyanna chose to be thankful she didn't need them. So just a short time ago, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. It's been rough sailing since the diagnosis, with aggressive chemotherapy coming up, and we're worried about infections. Of course, I'm pounding the gates of heaven with my request for her healing, but at the same time, I've found some things for which to be thankful. I'm glad that my wife's a passionate Christian. I'm grateful we've had a great relationship. So my wife might have got a bad diagnosis here recently, but her attitude of gratitude comes through loud and clear during these tough times. So we need to look for the silver lining. So I had a former coworker that really seemed to loathe working in our office. Day after day, her list of verbal gripes grew longer, which didn't do much for my morale. Finally, I suggested she list what she did like about her job, and the next day she surprised me by showing me her list. She admitted she had been so busy focusing on our grievances, she would forgotten to notice the good things in the office. All or nothing thinking is common when you feel discouraged, but don't fall into that trap. There usually are a few times, at least, when things go right, so look for the silver lining. And say thank you before please when it comes to prayer. Don't jump directly into your list of wants and needs, no matter how pressing those may seem. God loves to hear us appreciate him. Start by praying the way Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6, 9-13 through by honoring God, hallowed be your name. Your praise will be naturally include thankfulness for his faithful love and the daily help of his Holy Spirit and his provision for you. So try a scripture search. Remind yourself of the importance of rejoicing by searching the Bible both Old and New Testaments for God's instructions in this area. So Pauliana says that there are at least 800 happy texts in the Bible. I'll have to take her word for it. It will spur you on to consider what great things God has done for you. I love 1 Thessalonians 5 16-18 because it reminds me it's God's will that I be joyful always and give thanks in all circumstances. God wants me To have a happy heart as much as I long to be joyful. It's not all up to me. God's there waiting to give me joy. And when you struggle to obey God in the area of giving thanks, don't hesitate to ask him to show you how. He's longing to draw you close, to give you strength for the challenges of every day. So ask for his help. What begins as an awkward discipline of thankfulness can end as a habit of happiness gratitude's been my secret weapon for finding contentment and joy. Put it to work in your life today. So next I'm going to introduce the song Joyful Joyful by Tommy Walker Ministries and here it is. Hey, what a great song by Tommy Walker Ministries. And you can subscribe to his channel on YouTube and check him out at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. So next I want to read you a story and it's called Tess and the Dollar Eleven Miracle. So Tess was a precious eight-year-old when she heard her mom and dad talking about her little brother, Andrew. All she knew was that he was very sick and they were completely out of money. They were moving to an apartment complex next month because Daddy didn't have the money for the doctor's bills and their house. Only a very costly surgery could save him now, and it was looking like there was no one to loan them the money. She heard Daddy say to her tearful mother with whispered desperation, only a miracle can save him now. Tess went to her bedroom and pulled a glass jelly jar from his hiding place in the closet. She poured all the change out on the floor and counted it carefully. Three times even. The total had to be exactly perfect. No chance here for mistakes. Carefully placing the coins back in the jar and twisting on the tap. She slipped out the back door and made her way six blocks to Rexall's drugstore with the big red Indian chief sign above the door. She waited patiently for the pharmacist to give her some attention, but he was too busy at this moment. Tess twisted her feet to make a scuffling noise. Nothing. She cleared her throat, with the most disgusting sound she could muster. No good. Finally, she took a quarter from her jar and banged it on the glass counter. That did it. And what do you want? The pharmacist asked in an annoyed tone of voice. I'm talking to my brother from Chicago, whom I haven't seen in ages, he said, without waiting for a reply to his question. Well, I want to talk to you about my brother, Tess answered back in the same annoyed tone. He's really, really sick, and I want to buy a miracle. I beg your pardon, said the pharmacist. His name is Andrew, and he has something bad growing inside his head, and my daddy says only a miracle could save him now. So how much does a miracle cost? The pharmacist softened his manner a little and said, We don't sell miracles here, little girl. I'm sorry, but I cannot help you. Listen, I have the money to pay for it. If it isn't enough, I will get the rest. Just tell me how much it costs. The pharmacist's brother was a well-dressed man. He stooped down and asked the little girl, What kind of miracle does your brother need? I don't know, Tess replied, her eyes welling up with tears. I just know he's really sick and mommy says he needs an operation. But my daddy can't pay for it, so I want to use my money. "'How much do you have?' asked the man from Chicago. One dollar and eleven cents, dollar and eleven cents.' Tess answered, barely audible. "'And it's all the money I have, but I can get some more if I need to.' "'Well, what a coincidence,' smiled the man. "'A dollar and eleven cents is the exact price for a miracle for little brothers.' He took her money in one hand, and with the other hand he grasped her mitten and said, "'Take me to where you live. "'I want to see your brother and meet your parents.' Let's see if I have that kind of miracle you need. That well-dressed man was Dr. Carlton Armstrong, a surgeon specializing in neurosurgery. The operation was completed without charge, and it wasn't long until Andrew was home again and doing well. Mom and Dad were happily talking about the chain of events that had led them to this place. That surgery, her mom whispered, was a real miracle. I wonder how much it would have really cost. Tess smiled. She knew exactly how much a miracle costs, $1.11, plus the faith of a child. A miracle is not the suspension of natural laws, but the operation of a higher law. And so the next story is called, Are You a Cheerful Giver? I used to think I knew what that meant, but God recently gave me a new perspective on my old way of thinking. Let me say in the beginning that this is an incredible story. The first two paragraphs I speak about giving, the last are about the most incredible act of giving I have ever witnessed in my life. It was so amazing that I brought tears to my eyes and affected everyone that saw it. So with tearful emotion, as it will you, as you hear about it. So I have sat in a pew and watched the offering pass me by all of my life. Since my dad was a pastor and I have been a pastor, I have been to church like a zillion times and given in the offering more times than I can remember. The offering was almost at times become a ritual to us. Sometimes we pay no more special attention to it than we do with the announcements or the closing prayer before we are dismissed. Studies indicate that roughly 75% of the offerings received by a church each year are given by 25% of the congregation. And according to researchers, Christians give a little over 2% on average a year of their income to the church. That is why my eyewitness of the following account was so moving. It was the Sunday following the Haitian earthquake. The pastor directed and pleaded for the congregation to open their hearts and pocketbooks to give to those in need in a special offering for Haiti. As the music began to play and the offering made its rounds, I noticed the elderly women sitting in front of me. I have sat by her before, and at her age she usually is very still and stands only with the aid of her cane, so was surprised to see all the commotion she was making. She was desperately digging through every corner of her purse, with her elbow propped on her cane, looking for every dollar, dime, nickel, and penny she had to put in the offering, trying to find all she had as the offering approached her. As the offering bucket came to her, she was not ready. She held up the offering, taking a lot of time to dig for all she had. She was truly what the Lord meant by a cheerful giver. I was deeply moved. She was so frank to give all she had. She then sat down, and her tiny hands shaking, took and sat the bucket beside her as the usher waited at the end of the row. She then suddenly, in a flash, up and in her purse and started dumping it all out on the empty chair beside her and began sifting through all her items, picking out all various bills, quarters, dimes, and whatever she had. She was oblivious to anyone around her to the fact that various other items were falling out of the chair onto the floor. She was making sure that she had given all the money she had in her possession. So I have never witnessed anything so moving, as I have never witnessed the amazing effect it had on those sitting around her, including myself. I was so moved, tears immediately began falling from my eyes, from what I was witnessing, as was the same for those around me who were all witnessing the event. The Spirit of God moved on everyone who witnessed her actions, and we all went back into our wallets, back into purses, and began adding to what was already in hand. As it brought tears to my eyes, the Lord taught me really with total understanding for the first time, through true meaning of a cheerful giver. I know now I have really seen one, and now when I pray concerning my giving, I pray for the Lord to please give me her heart of giving, and ask that you might pray the same with me, so that God might be glorified in our lives." So I'm thankful to the Lord that I was able to witness almost the letter to the same event that Jesus witnessed as we recorded in Mark 12:41 through 43 Sitting across from the offering box, he was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. So I'm going to end today's episode with an audio clip from Billy Graham on happiness. And here it is. You see, happiness doesn't depend on abundance, happiness
1: depends on something else, it depends on something deeper. And the Bible says, Isaiah the prophet said, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. I don't care how rich you get and how powerful you get, there will be no peace in your heart if you don't know God. Now that word wicked doesn't mean that you do wicked things. It means that you're just away from God. You'll be like the restless sea, the Bible says. Have you ever looked out at the sea? And watched how restless it is. It's coming and it's going. The Bible says that's the heart of the person who doesn't know Christ. That's the way his heart is, always restless. The Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But the Bible also says, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That word blessed means happy. If you have your sins forgiven, and your iniquities have been covered by the blood of Christ then there's happiness and there's joy and there's peace and God can forgive sin because of the cross God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross and he put all of your sins on him he became the sin bearer he became the scapegoat he was the one that took the penalty for your sins and because of that God says, I love you. I can forgive you. There's hope. There's joy. There's purpose. There's meaning. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that day when I'll see Christ face to face. Are you? Does he live in your heart now? Would you like that hope, and would you like that peace, and would you like that joy? Would you like to know that all your sins are forgiven? Would you like to know that you're going to heaven? You can tonight. On the authority of God's word, I can promise it to you tonight. You don't get eternal life when you die. You get it right here and now, tonight.
0: So that does bring it in our episode today, and I hope everybody enjoyed it. And my closing prayer, as always, is that God blesses the journey you're on with Him, and that you embrace that path. So, next week's episode is going to be on God's healing power. So, you can connect with me at positive light podcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And anywhere you download your podcast, you can get positive light for free. So, hope everybody had a great week. God bless. And we'll catch you next week.